Hello and welcome to this special episode of the Monocle Weekly. I'm Lillian Fawcett and for today's show, I spoke to the translator of a 1963 East German novel, which has just been published in English for the first time. Brigitte Reimann's siblings was heavily inspired by the author's own life as an idealistic young woman in the communist GDR, whose family is torn apart by different political visions. Ryman died in 1973, but Berlin-based translator Lucy Jones has been working for years to find a publisher for an English version. She sat down with me in our London studio and I asked her why it took so long. That's a really good question. And there has been interest in her as a writer from uh, another publisher, Seagull Books, who published their, uh, her diaries. Those books came out in 2019 and 2021. There has been interest in her, but as far as her fiction is concerned, this is her, her debut. And I think that for a long time, there wasn't so much interest in East German literature. And perhaps there were a few outstanding names, such as Christoph Wolf, and she was a contemporary of Ryman's, and, you know, other, other writers who've been published. But she has been... Yeah, overlooked. And I couldn't really tell you why that is. I think that perhaps the distance now to the part of history that she wrote about is maybe long enough uh, to see it from a different point of view. Perhaps that's one explanation. But I'm really not sure why it's taken so long. <laughs> This isn't the first book of Brigitte Reimann's that you've translated, is it? Technically, it's the third. There are two volumes of the diaries. The diaries are very long. Mm -hmm. So they, they stretch from, I think it's 58 till 73-ish, uh, in any case, to her death. Um, and the diaries before that were, she burnt, so she didn't want them to be uh, found by anybody. So this is technically her third book to be published in English. What is it about her work that you're so captivated by? I've been asked this quite a lot and I keep coming back to the, the idea that it's her voice. It wasn't so much that I was interested in the history first, but I was interested in how she described the story set in this particular time. And her voice is very emotional, very passionate, and she's she puts you in a perspective of being there as if you're actually in inside the events that are taking place. Brigitte Ryman seems like a fascinating character as well. She mm -hmm. died at just age of 39 in 1973. And having said she wanted to live 30 wild years instead of 70 well-behaved ones. Tell us a bit more about what kind of person she was. Yeah. So she was, I think she was 21 when she had her first book published. And she'd always been writing at school. She'd written short stories and she studied drama for a while. Then she, she broke off her study and she became a teacher. She married very young. Um, she married somebody who wasn't her intellectual equal. And he turned out to be also quite domestically abusive towards her. So she had a lot packed into her first few years of life. And then when she became successful, I think her first book was Die Frau am Pranger, which means the woman in the pillory, which is a, a love story between a German woman and a Russian station soldier. So this was a big uh, success for her. And what happened was her, her life blossomed and she had all this attention and she just used it. No, I don't want to say used, but she just uh, enjoyed every moment of it. And I think she kind of was open to all kinds of experiences that that brought. Yeah. Let's talk a bit about the book now. It follows East German siblings, brother and sister Elizabeth and Yuli. And Yuli announces at the start of the book that he wants to defect to West Germany. Mm -hmm. they, they live in East Germany. 
And it's based on Brigitte Ryman's real life, isn't it? And she believed in this kind of communist socialist mission. But I think in, in the book, she's also quite honest about the realities of living in, in, a, in communist East Germany. You know, she's not a party member, neither is Yuli, but she kind of gets in trouble at her where she works because she criticises an, an old party member. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So it's very closely follow. It very closely follows her life. It's you might even call auto fiction. I'd say. And in in that moment that that she was writing, uh, you know, fascism had just uh, destroyed Germany and much of the world, and she was very young and idealistic and wanted to have a new start in her country. And as a young person. She got behind this idea of socialism. She was very critical of her parents and her parents' generation. And therefore, defecting to the West was seen as a, a, a selling out to com a consumerism, capitalism. And that, that was pretty much the way the world was divided in, uh, you know, during the Cold War. There was no real grey zone because there was a wall um, and there was a border and uh, you were seen as a traitor if, if, you, if you allowed those values to seep into your life. And I think that that's hard now for us to appreciate because we know what happened in the GDR. And in many cases, the state was not, it didn't act social, in a socialistic manner. It was a totalitarian state that surveyed its citizens. But she didn't actually live to see the very desperate end of the GDR. She lived as a young person at the beginning. And she really believed in it. She believed in the, the, the project, as, as it was called in the GDR. The project was to create equal wealth, equal conditions for education, equal pay for women, childcare, all of these things that are not, they still ha there still hasn't been a state that's really fully embraced all of those values and managed to put them into practice. Is siblings important, do you think, for kind of fleshing out then our understanding of East Germany, especially like you mentioned what life was like for women, you know, without wanting to kind of idealise what was a totalitarian state? It's, yeah. it's a kind of quite honest and personal appraisal of what her experience of living there was like. It's literally one person's experience. And I think that that's to her credit that it managed to get published during censorship with uh, very few passages actually deleted. So there was a, a censored version that was published in 63. An uncensored version was published in the 90s when she was rediscovered. And just to finish that story, there's there's just been a manuscript that's been discovered in one of her old flats with her final, final edits that will be launched, I think, in March in Berlin. So your question is very, very important, I think, because as you mentioned earlier, the the critical voice that she has of the, the, the misuse of power in that system is quite important. So she isn't met with the same kind of open arms that she runs towards this idea of socialism. She's actually, uh, she has to go through a set of hurdles fictionally and in her real life this, this happened. And what happened was that she uh, found it too difficult to live by these very stringent rules that were set up mostly by men. And I think that that's what I liked, for example, about the Sunday Times uh, review, is she does conjure up this very kind of uh, I think she put it as alcohol-sodden, male-dominated society. Mm. But I just want to add that she was actually in a factory, um, in a new town that was built purpose-built for factory workers. And she went there in real life and in the novel as a 
worker who was going to set up a circle for writers amongst the factory um, workers. So you see, this was one of uh, communism's projects was to anyone could could write or do art. And the state wanted to foster talent, you know, mm. on the factory workshop. And in the book, she Elizabeth is a painter, isn't she? That's right. So she she changes this field of art. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And uh, she found this really quite difficult because you can imagine it's a bit like running. You're, you're a professional writer. You've already had some success and you're running a workshop for people that are maybe a few of them very talented and maybe quite a few of them not, you know, and that was her. That was what she was doing as well as working on the factory floor and writing. So she had a lot on her plate and she approached it all with huge gusto, huge enthusiasm. She didn't sleep much. She drank a lot. She smoked a lot. <laughs> she went out a lot. So, you know, poor woman, I, I do think that she just burnt herself out completely in these few kind of meteoric years that she lived. Mm. The book, as I mentioned, was written nearly 60 years ago now about a state that no longer exists. What can it offer contemporary readers? Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in Stevenage, which is a new town about uh, 20 minutes from here up the A1. And it's also a... It was a place that was built for young families to have children with better, cleaner air outside of London after the war. This was a utopia, you know. My parents moved there thinking, oh, we're, we, you know, this is uh, this green spaces, we can buy our own house and everything. And actually what I would say from my experience of growing up in Stevenage, it was really great when I was a small kid, but as soon as you get to a certain age, you realise there's not really a soul. There's nothing kind of holding people together apart from the fact that it's cheap, affordable housing and clean air. And I think she makes so many similar points in this book. She's in this project that is, to all intents and purposes, it's supposed to be a utopia. But really, uh, the question is, what makes a community? How do people function when they've been placed in a man-made space, which is slabs of concrete, you know, everything looks the same. How, how do people function? What do we need for community? Do we need just clean, affordable housing and fresh air? Or do we, do we need something like an organic sense of who we are, where we come from, meeting places for young children and for young people and so on? And that's, I think that that's what I took from it, is that it resonated with me very strongly. This really gets old, this subject. If you look mm. at um, housing projects in different cities in Britain, you know, these, these are all really valid questions still mm. that you can ask. Really interesting. Yeah. And I want to talk about the translation as well. Yeah. Where do you begin with translating a, a novel or, or a nonfiction as well? Because yeah. it's obviously not just about knowing yeah. the English word or the German word. You're also trying to translate a kind of particular writing style, aren't you? Yeah, yeah I mean, you really have to um, see it like, uh, like writing. So you have to do several drafts before it gets to the place that you want it to be in. And I've always looked for similar voices in, in English to try and get myself attuned. It was really quite difficult to find anybody with her voice, although it's, it's very modern. So I, I found footage online. Uh, there's the uh, East German film company, the DIFA, who, who made documentaries in, in East German times. And she's on a clip. She's, she's talking. She's very, very shy. She's hmm. very sweet. And I heard her voice and I thought, oh, OK, so now I know what she sounds like. And I tried to conjure that up in my mind when I was doing the translation. So that or going to the places where she lived and worked and seeing 
the the atmosphere, so kind of being in the place, it was quite important for me. Mm. And how do you deal with words or phrases that don't have an obvious English translation? I'm thinking of one particular yeah. point that struck me where Yuli says, you can't make an omelette without breaking a few eggs. And I don't know <laughs> if that's a phrase in German. My limited knowledge of German, I don't know if, that, if there's an equivalent phrase. Or, uh, and how, how do you go about how kind of translating those funny idioms and things? Oh, I wish I could remember the German because I think it's uh, you, you can't make a table without creating wood shavings I think it's the German <laughs> yeah I, I'm very lucky to have colleagues who who I can run things by I have my native speaker a colleague Karen Vitun who who is often the one who helps me get the first kind of inroad if I really don't understand it she'll say well it means this and then I might go to English colleagues or English translator colleagues and they will help me find that equivalent so it's a kind of two-step thing sometimes it's really great when you do find an equivalent and sometimes you have to kind of work around it mm. especially when a book is uh, set in a country that you know literally doesn't exist anymore and the jargon isn't used there, there are quite a few political slogans in there as well that uh, some east germans said how are you going to translate that well i hope i hope i've managed to do it at least <laughs> And just finally, as you mentioned, you've translated books by Ryman in the past. Yeah. What's next on your list? What would you like to see next translated into English? Well, I mean, there is talk of her larger novel being, uh, her, her Mag Opus Magnus being translated, which is um, Franziska Linkerhand. And this is almost like an expanded version of Geschwister. It's, it's the same themes are looked at, but it's far more comprehensive it's a it's an older voice a more mature voice and it also dips into the end of the war a bit more I think thoroughly and interestingly I find it very interesting her voice again is sort of swooping around in the first person third person she changes perspective she does inner monologues it, it's incredible I don't, it's, it's really like a kind of incredible camera that's going everywhere and I would love to translate that that would be great. That's the the one on the horizon. There's also an amazing uh, young, young. I say young. He died very young. A, a, a writer called Ronald Schernikau, who who has an amazing life story, and he wrote in a very experimental way. And I would love to have him under my you know under my wing at some point. And I've been trying very hard as well to find a publisher for him. But those those are two those are two of my favourites at the moment. I'd say that was Lucy Jones. Siblings is published by Penguin and is available now. This show was mixed by Sarah Nicholl and I'm Lillian Fawcett. Thank you for listening. <laughs>